You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Incredibles 2. Did you wash your hands with soap? Did you dry them? What? Is this all vegetables? Who wanted all vegetables? I did. So, are we going to talk about it? Why? The elephant in the room. What elephant? Mom's new job. It's time to make some wrong things right. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes, and Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? Bye, sweetie. I'll watch the kids, no problem. That's not the way you're supposed to do it, Dad. They want us to do it this I don't way. know that way. Why would they change math? Uh, math is math. Okay, math Dad. is math. Hello? Hey, honey. How are the kids? Everything's great. Ah! Is she having adolescence? And Jack Jack? <laughs> He's in excellent health. Num num cooking. Oh my god! Cooking. Okay, that is freaky. You know it's crazy, right? To help my family, I gotta leave it. To fix the law, I gotta break it. You've got to, so our kids can have that choice. Thank you, young man. Combustion imminent? What does that mean? Ah! It means fire, Robert. The screen slater interrupts this program for an important announcement. Suit up. It might get weird. I'll be there ASAP. Where you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. All right, everyone. You were just listening to the trailer for Incredibles 2. And the story is as follows. Elastigirl springs into action to save the day while Mr. Incredible faces his greatest challenge yet, taking care of the problems of his three children. The film is starring Holly Hunter, Craig T. Nelson, Sarah Vowell, Huck Milner, and Samuel L. Jackson, and is written and directed by Brad Bird. Joining me for this review, I have Mr. Incredible himself, Will Mavity. I saw this movie before all of you. Ha. And Danilo Castro. I, 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 I didn't I couldn't think of anything else to call you, so I I just it's called cool. you by your name. You, I, thought, so, I wasn't yeah. sure if you were gonna like hit like a frozone. He should have been syndrome. Yeah. I feel like I don't know, man. Uh I saw this at the same time as probably everybody else saw it, so Yay! Alright. <laughs> Very cool. So Danilo, did you listen to Will and I review Incredibles One this week? I did. I did. Just, I had listened to it yesterday, actually. And for those that are listening right now, yes, we did record a throwback review for the first Incredibles film from 2004. You can choose to listen to that before this one if you want. You can always pause this, go over, listen, come back, join us again. In any event, though, uh, what did you think of Incredibles 1, Danilo? Because I know what Will thinks. Will loves it. It's like top-tier Pixar for him. Me? I'm a little dumbass lukewarm on it. Like I like it. I don't love it. So what about you? 
I'm in agreement with Will. This one, this and Monsters Inc. are are my favorite Pixar movies. This might be the top. Uh, Incredibles. Wow. One. Yeah, I love this movie. I watched it a lot as a kid. Very sporadic tastes we have here within the uh, within the NBP family when it comes to Pixar. I mean, like, am I the only person that has Wally as number one Pixar? I like Wally. I don't know. It was just like a certain like age range, I guess, or or whatever. But I'm I'm also not as big on the Toy Stories as everybody, which I feel like is sacrilegious. So I try to like not throw that out there too much. I mean, they don't have that many bad movies, so I feel like there's not that many like wrong choices. Right. Exactly. I, I that's why I just find so interesting is like. One person could say Incredibles is their favorite Pixar. Another person could say Toy Story is their favorite Pixar. Another person could say Wally, and and just goes back and forth because Pixar is so flipping good, and they prove it again with Incredibles too. Oh my God, how do they keep doing this? <laughs> this is madness. They just won the Oscar last year for Coco, and they're probably on their way to win it again for this film. Now that I know how you feel about Incredibles 1, Daniela, let's go back to you again. What did you think of Incredibles 2? When I first saw the trailer for Incredibles 2, I was a little worried. I was like, this doesn't, this looks a little too much like Pixar's version of Mr. Mom. I'm not sure if they're going to do, they're going to harp too much on this or, you know, if they're going to be able to deliver given that it's been 14 years or, but I was actually really pleasantly surprised. This was really good. Um, it exceeded my expectations and I was I was very satisfied with it. So, yeah, I, I dug it, definitely. Well, how about you, Will? What did you think of Incredibles 2? Oh, you're going to spoil everything. That's right, yes. We we are going to be spoiling some stuff during this review, people, just so that you know. Um, I thought The Incredibles 2 was a very strong sequel. It was not as fresh as the original film, and that's partially through no fault of its own. The Incredibles 1 came out in a time... When we had a Spider-Man movie or two out and an X-Men movie or two, but that was really it. You know, now The Incredibles 2 is just another of many, many fun team-based, self-referential comic uh, superhero movies. But it's got enough political bite, enough heart, and enough humor to make itself stand out, even if it feels a little bit overstuffed with themes and characters. You know what? I, I was thinking about this criticism because i remember reading it in your written review on the site there will and i thought about it and i gotta say something clicked for me when i walked out of incredibles 2 they took the same exact plot as incredibles 1 and all they did was flip it between mr incredible and elastigirl did anybody else realize this yeah yeah i got that vibe too it actually made me think of 21 jump street and 22 jump street <laughs> where, where Jonah Hill was Jonah Hill was the popular kid and then they flipped it and made Channing the popular kid right and I had yeah definitely it was like I, but but the way they did it made it like it made it acceptable it's like this is formulaic they're not they're not doing anything groundbreaking here but they're doing it in a really effective manner well because yeah it wasn't so much that there's been oversaturation in the superhero market I do feel that what the Incredibles still does at the end of the day is something unique but yeah, I thought maybe like, Will, I, you know, when you said to me, it just didn't feel as fresh. And I started to try and figure out, well, why is that? It was like, oh, well, that's that's the obvious answer. No, I guess it is. Yeah. I mean, like, it's almost beat for beat. You're right, because once again, they're still forbidden from using their powers in the real world. Their identities right. are still secrets. One family member gets to go back in and fight crime. 
Yeah. The other one gets jealous or, you know, to a certain degree of what the other is up to. The kids disobey because they want to get in on the action and they Mm -hmm. have to go out on their own, separate from their parents. Yeah. And the villain's motivations, while not exactly the same, the first film dealing a lot with toxic fandom in this film. I don't know. Like, I just kept thinking to myself, like, the parallels are all there where I just feel like they took the exact same script. And I guess it was just a matter of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And let's just kind of rehash it. But isn't it a little odd that 14 years later and we got almost the same film? Yeah. I mean, like, I will say one thing this film did that I like is like the Empire Strikes Back with Star Wars, it still definitely expanded the world that these characters belong in more. You know, like... Except for Frozone's character development. Except for... Yeah, and that bothered me. In our in our, our review of The Incredibles 1, we acknowledge that we don't... We never see his wife. We don't know if he has kids. We don't see any place in his house outside of his bedroom. And he's still just the funny guy who comes in to lend a little additional support in battle sequences. You know, and th- that does bother me. And I think that kind of speaks to an overall problem I had with the film, which is that there are so many characters. Um, there's obviously the central characters. There's the CIA agent. There's a brother and sister combo duo who... There's my boy Tony. <laughs> Opens up the film, yo. Yeah, go Tony. Yeah, yeah, there's Tony Ridinger. <laughs> and, and then there's like... You know, 15 new superheroes that they introduced, too. There's there's just a lot to juggle. And there's also so many different themes. There's screen slavers, whole thing about, oh, we're addicted to our screens. We don't have real experiences and relate to each other. And that, you know, Brad Bird introduces that theme and then, like, does nothing with it. There's all kinds of stuff uh, about, you know... Um, Mr. Incredible's latent sexism. And actually, that is a theme I thought was explored well. The gender dynamics, I thought. They weren't subtle, but animated films never really are. Um, But there's a ton of themes going on there, and not all of them get the same amount of attention as others. And I think No, because you also have to cram in all these action sequences. Mm -hmm. You have to have the third act come off like an X-Men ripoff for some reason. Uh, You know, there's just so much that needs to be done. And dear God... This movie is longer than Incredibles 1, which is unbelievable to me (laughs) because Incredibles 1 feels so long. But with all that said, that's the end of my complaints. I enjoyed this movie more than the first Incredibles film. I had more fun with it. I laughed more at it. I thought the animation was better. I mean, 14 years later, the animation better be better. But you know what I'm saying. I thought the action sequences were actually genuinely exciting. You have Elastigirl trying to stop a moving train, which is really, like, exhilarating to watch. You have... Like, you know, you have the final scene at the end where they're also trying to stop another moving uh, vehicle, a boat. I mean, then you have, like, the greatest fight scene of the year between Jack-Jack the baby and this raccoon, which was hysterical, inventive. And honestly, they beat the crap out of each other, those two characters. I was blown away by it. Dude, I love there's a fight scene in an apartment building where a character can't open their eyes. I thought that was oh, so Oh, that was visceral. so good. Like, and uh, Brad, I, I saw the film at a Q&A with Brad Bird, and Brad Bird talked about he never really read comic books as a kid. 
he grew up instead with James Bond being a superhero. And you definitely get shades of that. You know, that's very train fight and from Russia with love, kind of. Um, like, Brad Bird is an extraordinary action director. Absolutely. Guy did Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Don't hold Tomorrowland against him, mind you. But he did Ghost Protocol. <laughs> Let's not forget this. I really thought that that scene in the apartment building, um, especially when you had the flickering screens... I thought that some of those sequences were just very, very unique, and I had never seen uh, that kind of level of animation done in a Pixar film before. So there was there was a lot to keep me excited throughout, believe it or not, despite the long running time, despite that the film is throwing a lot at us. Not just not just us. Like I started like trying to think to myself, what are kids thinking when they're watching this? Because a lot of the themes must be going over their heads. Yeah, but at the same time, I think what as with many Pixar films, it does right. There's plenty. I mean, like, they're not going to appreciate the themes, but it's also got its fair share of dumb humor. Um, it's It's got its, its excellent action beats. I think it's long, but I do think it's paced better than the first movie. Yes. Uh, even though it is longer, I, I think that is what helped to contribute towards my enjoyment of this one more, was it did feel better paced, like you said. Uh, Danilo, you're quiet. I'm just listening. Sorry. <laughs> I, got, I got invested in the, the discussion. This is where Danilo reveals he never saw the film. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just watched the first one again. Um, I, I, I agree with you guys, everything you said. Um, I think a lot of those action scenes, uh, back to what kind of Matt was saying, I think they help kind of distinguish the film and give the film kind of a, a if not a thematic difference necessarily, like the, the fight in the, in the apartment, uh, a visual difference from the first film that I think helps a lot. Um, some of those action scenes, like you said, on the train and stuff like that, that, I think what, none of the action scenes, uh, of the original I thought stood out as well or was, were as well staged and everything like that. So I think that kind of helped it. Um, it, it, it definitely does beat wise hit a lot of the same things, but I think those little stylistic flourishes and like you guys said, the pacing kind of makes it, um, almost like a more polished companion piece to it if it's not like you know what i mean it's not necessarily like a progression of the story but it's just kind of like a i don't know it's almost like a revised thing of what we know and love already i don't know if they make you know what i mean yeah no i i know exactly what you're saying and i do think that there is a natural progression in terms of the character development from the first film into the second film it feels organic it doesn't feel forced at all and characters that we really did get invested in in the first film um like, for example, Mr. Incredible, this film really does take its time to shine a spotlight on Elastigirl, which I really appreciated a lot. Like we said, the roles were flipped between the two characters this time around, mm -hmm. and we saw a lot less of Mr. Incredible being Mr. Incredible. And we saw a lot more of Elastigirl being Elastigirl. That was fantastic, because the two films then, I think, work as really great companion pieces, even though they're separated by such a long period of time between them. I, I definitely think that at this point, just bring on Incredibles 3. Like, I'm on board. I'm ready, you know, if they decide to do it. I think that the movies work really well as almost like flip sides of the same domestic coin. When you look at it, like, through that lens, I think they hold up really well and they complement each other. I think having this film and what they do with The Last Girl like complements and kind of strengthens what they did with Mr. Incredible in the first film. Yeah, even Violet gets a lot to do in this film. Uh, she gets to showcase her powers. She has her storyline with Tony. Mm -hmm. 
I did feel like the kids didn't. The kids kind of got the short end of the stick, though. No, I, show- I see. I think you're saying that because Dash gets the short end of the stick in this movie. Violet doesn't, though. She gets a lot to do in this movie. Well, she's being hormonal, but um, and she gets to show off her physical powers. But does she have like a character? I guess she kind of does. She comes to get over her resentment towards her dad. Right. That's like a very father-daughter trope, though. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's not really a very creative thing to do with he, her. He, like, apologizes, and then she's like, oh, she gets it, and then they've suddenly reconciled. Like, that happens in every animated movie ever. Like, I, I felt like that was kind of a trite direction to take her character, and, oh, she's a teenager, so she gets annoyed by her dad. Ha-ha, but she realizes the sacrifices he made. I feel like Pixar is better than that. And then yeah. Dash is literally just comic relief. Yeah. And the way they wrote, like, Violet's, like, I guess romantic subplot, you'd call it, it, it really just, like, it looked like it was going one way, and then they just kind of, like, they just, like, stopped it, which was weird. They just kind of, like, wrote it out. Yeah. Um, and one of those sequences I thought were really funny. What sequence? Uh, at the at the diner. Oh my God! When she spits uh, the drink oh, out of her nose. Oh, that was a great moment. That was great, but but it like it stopped there, and I felt like I don't know, but, but like you guys said, there's there was a lot to cover, so I, I guess corners had to be cut. Yeah, no, it, they couldn't touch upon everything. Yeah. I mean, J- Jonathan Banks has a you know significant role even in the first half of this film, and then he just goes away. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he disappears. Uh, let's talk about some of the other uh, new characters in this, though. Um, so we have Catherine Keener and Bob Odenkirk joining the uh, cast as the... What's their last name again? Oh, it's um the the Devers, right? Yeah, okay, the yeah. Devers. So the, the, De- the Devers siblings. That's funny, I couldn't remember that. Well, you you know why, right? Because um, if, if you... Let's just say to our listeners that if you say the names of characters slowly, you can get a not-so-subtle spoiler about the films. Oh. Yeah, like, um, Evelyn Dever. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That is actually amazing. They must have had a good laugh in the writer's room. Yeah. So, wow. (laughs) I I did not think of that. That's really funny. Yeah, that's up there with, like, uh, that, that... Robert De Niro movie where he's playing the devil and his name is Lewis Cipher. Oh, Angel Heart? Yeah. He's <laughs> oh, <geez>. awesome. <laughs> but regardless of which, what did you guys think of their addition to the cast here? What did you think of their roles, their voiceover performances? I thought the performances they, they were, were fine. Good. I mean, yeah. Did anyone else feel like they were like watching an animated version like in likeness, mannerisms, and everything of Bob Odenkirk. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was a little weird. I just like felt like Better Call Saul just like walked onto the set of The Incredibles yeah. and decided to just do a crossover. And he's know? the only one they really did that with, so it was a little distracting. Like, just like, oh, it's Bob Odenkirk interacting with all these fictional characters. Um, I thought they were they were good. Uh, I I wouldn't say they were necessarily part of anything that I would say was like a high point in the film. But I thought they played their roles well enough um, and allowed kind of the, the stronger themes of the film to kind of play out. I thought they were serviceable for me. Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe it. Yeah, which what's her name again? Uh, the sister? Evelyn Dever. Okay, that's right. Evelyn Dever. I'm never going to forget that name now. Nope. I know. <laughs> See? <laughs> uh, Evelyn... God, I can't even say the name. <laughs> Evelyn Dever. Let me put it this way. She's 
Ah oh, man, how do I save this without getting spoilers? I, I guess know. I've already. I guess I've already. See. I, I th listen. I think I've already screwed it up. So I'm just gonna say it. Okay. I don't think she's as interesting a villain as Screen Slaver itself. No, I I very much agree. Yeah. They wrote Screen Slaver presented an interesting theme about we waste our life idolizing what we see on TV. It plays nicely into superheroes. Um, we're not having real experiences. It's a very real thing to criticize, and it feels like Brad Bird just wanted to be like, here's another theme, but instead, it's just like, oh. E Evelyn's upset over the death of her parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was not as nowhere near as interesting, in my opinion. No. She was basically Baron Zemo from Civil War, but, like, with some fancier toys. Yeah, and not nearly as grounded, you know, and it's... No, exactly, it, yeah, and that was kind of... And the then problem. also, just all of her personality traits, like, she seems to genuinely be fond of Miss of Elastigirl, and then that just all goes out the window, so it's like, oh, I guess she didn't give a shit, and then... Yeah. So what, are you just, like, a two-dimensional sociopath, if you were able to pull off that convincing... It was weird, uh, honestly. Like, it, it, it did throw me off, and I didn't feel like... that. That was, like, the one part of the movie that I felt... A, I saw it coming a mile away. That's that's number one. Oh yeah, yeah. everybody like that's why I don't feel bad about spoiling this. I knew she was going to be the villain. Yeah. Uh, what I was more surprised, but though, by was I was more surprised that Bob Odenkirk actually turned out to be a good guy, and he wasn't like in on it with her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was a little surprising to me. Um, that she would like just go and betray her brother like that, and you know. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I think, like, another aspect that I would say where this film is weaker than the first is just, like you guys said, they set up Screen Slaver to be kind of like an interesting flip on a villain, and it's like, oh, this could be kind of a nice a nice uh, follow-up to what Syndrome was, which I thought was a great villain in the first film. A and the way they kind of bait-and-switch you, it it's with a much less compelling villain, so you walk away, it it's just, it's nowhere near what they did with Syndrome. So, ultimately, it felt more of like a villain of the week thing than, than someone who was kind of intertwined with like the Parr family like mythos and like the way that they built up those characters so I thought that that also kind of cheapened it you know I'm not going to remember well, I'm going to remember the name now but I'm not going to remember her character um for much beyond that yeah it's definitely not gonna in my opinion join uh the list of great Pixar Disney villains absolutely uh, not you know but but the themes in the movie though um do resonate through I think at least um in terms of you know what it is that her ultimate goal is here um what it is that the characters themselves the journeys that they each go on how they learn to become a family unit um mm -hmm. and work together a as a group now knowing that they all do have powers including the scene stealer of the entire film little jack jack <laughs> jack jack is great she, he got way more screen time than i was anticipating and it was like a really pleasant surprise if we have an mvp film award at the end of the year for best baby we'll make the category just so we can give jack jack an award seriously because <laughs> everything about that kid was cute it was funny and it was unpredictable that was the it part was. i liked i liked about it so much was every time that kid was on screen I was like, what is he going to do next? Now, what I wasn't a fan of as much was that I wasn't a fan that they kept repeating the gags with Jack-Jack. Oh, like... I liked it more when it was unpredictable and surprising than, oh, he can do 17 things. We know exactly what those 17 things are. No, I want him to be able to do 17,000 things. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. The best bits are when 
he's like introducing new powers and we get to see them react and we're reacting the same way. Like, oh my God. So I, I agree. They could have done a little more with that, but as it stands, I, I walked away pleased with how they handled him for the most part. Yeah. And also too, like, you know, I really, really love how they show, um, and I, I, Will, I think it was you who brought this up before, um, how they show Mr. Incredible taking care of Jack-Jack, like as an actual baby, but, you know, just with, you know, these little things that he also has to then contend with as well on top of that and how exhausting of a job that is. And it's not that he actually then crumbles and breaks down and realizes like he can't do it. He does find the strength to somehow like rise to the occasion and be the father for them that they need. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed that. But also too, what it did is it also gave agency to um, Elastigirl in showing that what she does do for the family unit is extraordinarily difficult. And Mr. Incredible has now come to appreciate that um, on his own without any assistance and not having to hit rock bottom. And then, you know, like I said, get somehow pulled out of the hole. He, he himself is able to weave through that. And I don't know. I, I thought that sent a really positive message to anyone that's watching out there that, you know, raising a family is harder than, I guess being a superhero and trying to save a city at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, I agree with that. That was kind of part of my concern heading into the film was I didn't want them to uh, feel like they have to demean Mr. Incredible to, to kind of bolster Elastigirl's character and the way they kind of handled both was I thought I thought was really admirable and and, and showed that they both both the superhero side and the domestic side are, are, are equally taxing and that both of them are capable enough to kind of overcome both sides of those. So I, I agree with you that 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 was uh, something I was leery of going in, but walked out pleasantly surprised with. Yeah. I mean, Will, you said it in your written review yourself, like this might be the most woke uh, Pixar Disney film yet, right? Oh, I can't wait for the Fox News article where they're like, <laughs> The Incredibles 2 isn't trying to indoctrinate our children with liberal propaganda. You know, like, <laughs> you know that's coming. What is the line that at the end of the movie when they're going to jail? And oh, it's like, like, oh, she's rich. She'll get away with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with a slap on the wrist. Yeah, this movie definitely wears its politics on its sleeve. And that's okay. Yeah, it's a kid's movie. They're never subtle. No, and I think it sends the right message at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't. It doesn't harp on things that are overly political. I think it harps on things that are that are good lessons. I would say more so than. Well, and I I like the debate they had at the dinner table of like what's more oh, important, doing yeah. what you think is right or following the laws objectively. Love that. Love that. That that is that is it's it. Just like in the first film, with the first half in a movie that was so grounded within reality before the movie became like just a generic action film. That first half of The Incredibles is what makes it a great movie. And those moments that do shine through in this, even though they kind of have their powers throughout the entire movie and it's more scattered in terms of the action bits, they're still able to weave in those more humanistic moments that we, as people who don't have powers, are able to relate to. I, I, I mean, like, those moments are the ones that resonate the most and are the most powerful. I mean, I can't speak for kids. Obviously, the kids probably just love seeing Jack-Jack. Don't get me wrong. But as an adult, man, those, those scenes, because, I mean, you think about how difficult it must be, uh, you know, to be somebody that has these powers. And the movie is trying to, like, promote this idea, like, as we said before, about Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl, of how sometimes 
even when things get really tough, you have to do it on your own. Like, like you, you have to try. You have to try and get things done. But when the going gets tough, it is okay to ask for assistance. The film doesn't preach that you should just ask for assistance right away. The film is like preaching for everyone to push themselves to their limits, try to grow. And if, if you know, push comes to shove, you know, when you really get to that point, you know what I'm saying? That's what family is there for. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's like a it's I wouldn't say it's it's anything that people haven't heard before, but I think the way they kind of package it up and put a bow on top of it makes it something that's you know, it's heartwarming, it's exciting. It it, it gives you enough of both to where I think you walk out satisfied kind of in that way. Um and I agree with you. Those are yeah. It does a great job kind of doing that without I think uh skipping out on some of the the stuff that's going to make the kids happy. The Jack Jack stuff. Yeah. Oh, and we got to mention Edna. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I love seeing her. I want to see a standalone Edna Mode movie, honestly. No, I I thought she was perfectly handled here. Short, short burst within the film. Mm-hmm. Did exactly what it needed to do. And you know what? It was perfect. She doesn't want to take care of Jack-Jack because he's just a baby. And no, 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 I don't have time for this. And then all of a sudden she realizes he has powers and her curiosity like just skyrockets. And she's like, oh, of course, darling, leave him here as long as you like. And it's just, oh, my God. So, so perfect. I didn't realize until seeing the credits for this one, I didn't realize that was Brad Bird. That blew no, my mind. you didn't know that. I didn't know that. I never bought it. He, he voiced out. her in the first one too. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's that's fantastic. That make that made it even funnier. I don't, I don't know. It's just <laughs> that. Yeah, Edna was great. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts. Great out of ten, and of course, Oscar potential. Will Mavity, you first. Good solid seven. Solid seven. No 7.5. Oh, well, I can't do 0.5s. Yeah, it's a 7.5. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that you can, but you seem very, very firm. Like, 7 it is. No, no, no. I mean, like, in a, in your warped scale of rating, it's a 7. If I were allowed 0.5s or 0.25s or 0.36s, then be another story. Yeah, it would be like a 7.93785. Would it be a 0.36? <laughs> yeah, it'd be a 7.36. No, it's a 7.5 nice. for me if I'm allowed to do that. No, you're not. It's a seven. Okay, then it's a seven. <laughs> Punch it in the movie calculator. And just and just for context, what did you rate the first film? Eight. So let me get this straight. No Pixar film for you has ever gotten a nine or a ten? I've never given a ten. We, we, we've addressed this. I just don't do it. Wait, you've never given a ten, period? No, n- nothing's ever gotten a ten. Oh, has, has some... Um, wow. That's... There's problems with every film. There is, but... Hmm. That's, that's wild. What's your favorite movie? <laughs> what is it? Is it like a 9.35? I rewatched them and found problems with it. I have no favorites. I have no joy. Oh. No, I uh, probably LA Confidential. <laughs> LA Confidential. Okay. That's a great one. What is that? Just curiosity. Nine. Is it just a flat nine? Nine. Okay. Maybe 9.5. Oh, I'm man. feeling generous. It doesn't sound like you're feeling generous today. He, he wears it like a badge of honor and he's never going to rip that badge off. Even even if like he witnesses like a film that changes his life. I don't think Will will ever give it a 10. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. Just a statement of fact. I digress. All right. Seven. Any other thoughts on the movie? 
Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's it's much better than the clusterfuck that was Finding Dory in Monsters University. It's oh, definitely God. the best sequel they've had since um Toy Story 3. Yeah, I mean like I cannot describe how much I despise Finding Dory. So, you know, this is that that was in like my bottom 5 of 2016. I hate that film. I wish it had never been created. <laughs> I I feel bile rising even mentioning its name. Uh, as far as Oscar potential, this is... I, unless Wreck-It Ralph 2 is really good, I think this is probably our winner. Um, and it might show up in one or two of the sound categories. Maybe, is that song in the end credits going to be eligible? Uh, I don't I don't know, but my guess is, even if it was, I don't think it gets a nomination. Yeah. I really like the score this time around. I mean, the last... Very John Barry-esque, too. I want, I want to single that out. Unless if it's a weak year in score, I can't see it getting in. No, I agree. I'm just saying I really liked it. Now, the ultimate question, though, do you think it can get in for adapted screenplay? No, absolutely not. But yet the original got in for original screenplay. Because it was original. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, it, it, it stood out for that fact. It was very unique. And also that was a weak year in that category. Is it at least in your top 10 contenders, like bottom five? Mm, no. Like it doesn't have the Logan slot? It's like 11 or 12. Okay. So like if we get to the end of the year and there are six contenders for best adapted screenplay and somehow, some way, because the, the field is so thin, Incredibles 2 is one of those six. You, you still don't think it would have a shot. No, I guess if that if it's if it's that dire a year, then I'll reevaluate. But I'm I'm certainly not coming close to doing that right now. No, no, no. I I know. I'm just saying from a prospect standpoint. Yeah, I mean, like I I wouldn't eat spam right now. But if like there was a nuclear holocaust tomorrow and that was all that survived, along with Twinkies, I would grudgingly eat those things. You know, it's just like, very dire. Wow. Yeah. Seriously. Jesus Christ. We get it. It won't be nominated. <laughs> it's amazing how like you were like the number one supporter on, on our review of the first Incredibles film, and I think based on reactions I've heard throughout this, I think you might come in at the lowest score. Yeah, I think so too. That's very funny. Well, I I had more light in my eyes and enjoyed films more when I was a young man when I saw the first Incredibles. When you were giving out tens? They, yeah, when you were giving out tens. <laughs> dude, dude, like back in the day, everything got A's for me. Oh, you for know, sure. You know, like you only live twice when I was in second grade, A plus, you know, like. If there were explosions, it was already at like a seven or an eight. Oh, wow. If it was James Bond, it was like a seven or an eight. <laughs> Unbelievable. Danilo, final thoughts, grade out of 10 Oscar potential. I'm going to give it a seven out of 10 as well. I think it was a very good sequel. Um, definitely better than Finding Dory. Definitely, definitely better than the damn Monsters University. That movie sucked. That was not a good time. And Monsters, Inc. is my other Pixar, like, golden, like, one. And that just, yeah, that was bad. That put me in a bad mood. Uh, Oscar potential, I think it's the front runner for animated feature. Uh, I don't think that's an unpopular opinion, though. I don't think screenplay... Um, and like what kind of mentioned, I think maybe some of the cat- the others, like the sound categories, but definitely animated feature. That's the only one I'm going to like conclusively kind of stamp in there. All right. So I definitely think that it's an improvement on the first film for me and the first film I gave a seven to, which is really, God, this is like so weird to me. So yeah, I, I would give this an eight. 
Okay. <laughs> it's, it's so bizarre. Anyway, <laughs> it's amazing we're just where we all fall on the spectrum with this. In terms of its Oscar potential, I begrudgingly say I think it's a front runner for animated feature. And I only say that because we came off of a very non-competitive year last year where Coco just ran away with the entire season. And I just don't want that to happen again two years in a row. I'd like there be I'd like there to be some competition. Hopefully Wreck It Ralph 2 breaks the internet, whatever the hell the movie's called. I hope that that movie can give this a run for its money and that we have an actual race. That's that's my hope. If Incredibles 2 does win the Oscar for Best Animated Feature, great. I enjoyed it. I, I like this movie, despite um, some of the criticisms that I do have for it. I very much enjoyed my time watching this film. And I think it sends a great message to kids. I think there's a lot for adults to get out of it. So it would make a fine Best Animated Feature winner. Yeah. All right, Danilo, thank you so much for joining us for this review for Incredibles 2. Where can they find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me at Danilo S. Castro on Twitter. And how about you, Will? Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast as we review Incredibles 2. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. Also, too, head on over to our Patreon page, where for $1 minimum, you can get our review of The Incredibles from 2004. We can get the full review on there. The preview is available for anyone to listen to, but if you subscribe to Patreon, you get that, plus other exclusive podcast content. Thank you so much for listening. We shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.